What do you do? And what do you think if a company is infringing your patent? Greetings, hello, and welcome back. This is John Cronin, Invent Anything. In this episode, we will cover the situation when you find out you have a potential infringer of your patents. Have you hit the jackpot? Can you misstep and hurt your business? What does all this mean to your business, market, employees, and customers? Inventions keep the world spinning. From fire in the wheel to today's high tech, inventions power change. Turn your inventions into reality. Learn how to get your ideas to market. This is Invent Anything with John Cronin. We'll cover six topics. In the first topic, we'll cover the common ways you actually find out about evidence that your patent is being infringed. Moving to the second topic, we'll discuss one of the first things you should do is do a patent valuation and risk assessment and licensing damages, which is not that complicated, but we wanna get the point across that it should be the first thing you do. Then we're gonna size the whole problem from a business perspective, knowing the ins and the outs here, what should you do? One of the fascinating things in topic four is to control all communications which if you don't could be disastrous. In topic number five, we're gonna look at the various responses and approaches you can take uh, for the potentially infringed patents. And finally, there's so many other points of interest that we'll touch on these in topic six. And then of course, we'll wrap up. When we talk about the audience for this, one of the places that I think the audience would be incredibly interested is for those that have just learned that their patents might be infringed. You need to tune into that. For those small companies who want to quickly understand the many ins and outs and some options about the situation. And for those small and medium-sized companies that may be considering taking action, spending money, and trying to leverage the patents. For CEOs and boards who may want to understand what this has got to do with their business and the impact, this is for you. And for those who discovered their infringes, you may want to know professionally what to do here, but be very careful. And then for those who may have products where they just learn that they have infringing patents on their products by uh, a competitor, uh, there's a lot of advice we wanna give you about the owner of the infringed patents because it could backfire on you. This is John Cronin from Invent Anything. And coming up, surprisingly, there are so many options you learn about patent infringement, particularly through masked communications. Also, you won't believe some of the risks and traps and taking action when you originally thought you had won the jackpot. You're listening to Invent Anything with John Cronin. Be sure to visit us at inventanything.net. There's information, articles, and more. And you can leave your thoughts and comments there as well. That's inventanything.net. And now back to John and this episode. So let's get into it on topic number one, common ways to find out about your patent is being infringed. And that's generally through some evidence of use. So you perform an evidence of use, which we talked about in episode 15. And that was usually requested by a board or an investor or a CEO. Another way you find out is you have some sort of tracking system, which is highly recommended in a place that alerts you if there's some evidence of use, maybe some automation for an evidence use chaser, or maybe you have teams that are constantly reviewing copycat products. One of the great places to understand whether you're being infringed is from the inventor of the patent because they actually take a personal interest in studying who's kind of copying their patent. You could, if you wanted to, track citations of patents 
So when a patent gets cited by the pat, your patent gets cited by the patent office, you could get an alert to that. Sometimes that actually means that someone's copying your patents and improving upon it. Sometimes your customer actually tells you that they learned about a potential infringer because someone was trying to sell them a related product. So it's really a competitive situation where you own the patent and your customer knows about it. And then your customer finds out that somebody else is infringing your patent and tells you. Maybe you try to license your patent. And now the licensee asks you, hey, I believe someone's infringing the patent. I just licensed. So you need to do something about it. Another thing is you see some strange activity on your website, maybe through some online system like Clicky or Clicky or whatever, where you start to see lawyers or some law firms or competitors looking at your website. That's an indication. Uh, maybe there's some new prior art by the examiner of one of your patents with the continuation that you did. When the examiner actually cites his prior art, some products out there that your previous patent uh, is being infringed. Maybe someone gets involved in asking you whether you take a license to your patents. This really happens. People call you up and say, hey, I was wondering if you could license your patents. They may be infringing. Or you get a call from a broker representing an anonymous buyer, and they ask you if you want to sell your patent. Now, I have been a broker. And I've done this. So we have a patent that's being infringed and we're hoping that maybe that person will sell the patent and not even know that the person that is gonna buy it was actually infringing. Topic number two, you do a patent valuation risk assessment for licensing of damages. Now this is important. When you find out that you think that you're being infringed, what you need to do is you need to study how much this is all gonna be worth it to you. You try to look at the business case for infringes and actions that need to be sized. And quite honestly, you need to do it unemotionally. Uh, to be emotional about something in business is probably incorrect anyway. But when you have someone infringing your patent, you might think they're stealing from you. And so you have to dis, dis, distance yourself from this kind of emotion. One thing to do is to do a damages assessment. You've got the patent and you've got the products. How many products are they selling? What do you think you could get in a settlement uh, in, in a court? By the way, one thing that's always missed is you subtract, subtract out the five to six to $10 million it's going to cost you to basically sue somebody. So, but this can be done usually at low cost and some sort of assessment to figure out whether you really have a case to spend the money on litigating. There is obviously a lot of damage assessments that can be done. One thing is be expecting that the, the person or the company infringing your patent is going to try to invalidate your patent. So you need to weigh those risks and they're high. So you really need to evaluate that. If there was some sort of licensing assessment, I have three different types here, but one licensing assessment is, you know, is going forward is the best way to settle this through a license, maybe a negotiation versus going right to court. Maybe a second kind of assessment for licensing is when you get involved in understanding whether you should license this or not versus litigate it, that it'll provide for you a good understanding of the market and also the strength of your IP. If your IP is very strong, you might have attorneys trying to tell you that this is a case to be litigated for the maximum amount. But if there's some flaws in the claims of the patents, maybe licensing is the better approach. A third assessment in licensing is you use experts very inexpensively to try to size how much the license could be. And I would highly recommend that this is not a place for lawyers. Uh, thinking about licensing in the business case is more about hiring expert consultants, et cetera, than lawyers. Because when lawyers hear about lit potential litigation, they're gonna be risk averse and they're gonna to want to try to get you to, to litigate. 
if I think about risk assessment, the first way is we talked about evidence of use in podcast 15. How much overlap really is there between your product and your patent claims and your patent claims and their product? Knowing that overlap and how strong it is an important assessment. A second risk assessment is to have a tool that kind of evaluates technical risks, the patent risks and the company's risk. I mean, let's just talk about it for a minute. If the company that you are, that is infringing, if you think that you're gonna take them to court and if you find out if hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank and they love to fight in court, uh, beware that if you go to sue them, they're gonna use a lot of money and they're gonna keep you in court. Do you wanna want take that battle on? Or does the company have very little ability to defend? If that company that is infringing your patents is raising money, man, that's a ticket to money because if you try to sue them during that part, you could stop them from getting money. So they may be more apt to settle. So you see the, the bounds of that. Technically, when you look at the technical prowess of the company that you might wanna uh, assert your patents against, they may have all sorts of other technology that later on they could counter assert against you. So understanding that's really important. If they just have a one-off product, maybe they're technically not that strong and you could afford for patent infringement and not look at the blowback to an infringement. So looking at those various aspects. Another risk is looking inside. Does your board, does your CEO, do they have the stomach for this? Uh, is this gonna be too disruptive? Many times we find that large companies sue small companies for the only reason of causing it to be disrupted so they can win in the market. So be wary about disruption. And finally, another risk assessment is look at the market reaction. We've literally had clients that tried to assert to find out that the competitor and the, and the customers start to label them as non-practicing entities, i.e. they have patents and trying to make money from their patents. They're not really developing good products. They're just using their patents. To be labeled as a non-practicing entity in a competitive market is not such a good thing. Also, this could cause customer disruption. Uh, think about it. When you sue somebody for patent infringement, you're bringing your customer in by definition because they're buying your product. They don't know what's going to happen if your patent is made invalid and you're using it for the to sell to your, your, your customer because you have a patent protected product, they may see that your patent evaporates. So maybe they don't want to pay the large, you know, fees and, 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 and dollar amounts for your product. So beware. Coming up, believe it or not, there are opportunities and there are also risks, especially in the overall market response to your company. You really need to hear this. You're listening to Invent Anything with John Cronin. Be sure to visit us at inventanything.net. There's information, articles, and more. And you can leave your thoughts and comments there as well. That's inventanything.net. And now back to John and this episode. So topic number three, size the problem from a business perspective. Beyond valuation and risk that we discussed, there are all sorts of business perspectives that should be evaluated. We'll briefly cover some of these. What could be the infringer's response? Believe it or not, what could be the employee's response? How about the competitor's response? What about your innovation position in the market? What about the short-term effects to a potential litigation and the long-term effects? One should always get expert non-legal business advice on this matter. Because I'll tell you, you will get legal advice, which is we can support your litigation. But patent litigators do not provide the business advice on the market, the products, the technology, employees, et cetera. Let's go through the infringer response. So to think about this. When approached with the discussion with the potential infringer that they're violating your patent, even 
if you approach them for licensing your patent, if you think they're violating, one of the typical responses is they go dark. They don't talk to you. And then a month later, all of a sudden you get a declaratory judgment subpoena that they actually are saying that you've caused a business interference to them. They bring you to their venue and they sue, the, sue you with claims and you don't get to counterclaim with your infringement until you go through their claims. So be always aware of a declaratory judgment. It's a major mistake and a big headache if it's done. Another infringer response could be when you approach for a discussion because maybe they're in violation and however you do that, uh, the market then labels you as a non-practicing entity. The competitor or infringer will actually go to the press and say that you're stressing your patents and holding them up for money. And believe me, there's negative response to this in the market today. So be wary of that. I talked about employee response. I actually have a couple of examples, but there are many. Why would the employee even be involved? Well, one thing is that as soon as the inventor or one of the employees hears that there's an infringement, they start emailing everybody, uh, their friends, their wife, co co-workers, that the patent is being infringed. And they start to talk about how great the patent is and all this stuff. One of the crazy things about an infringement is that all, every single document is subpoenable unless it's under attorney-client privilege. So there's many cases where the employee has basically hurt the company by responding about infringement and how the, you know, the, the, they, they knew this company was infringing for years or something like this, which creates a latch problem, et cetera. So employees' responses can be very damaging. So you need to kind of have this whole communication things uh, pretty solidly thought through. Another potential employee response is non-inventors. And these are usually the ones that are not that sophisticated. They even could be in marketing. This happens so much that when a marketing or a salesperson hears that the company has an infringement possibility with potential customers, that goes to the marketing guy's ears as something they can sell. So they tell customers, look, you know, we know that company XYZ is violating our patents. That's why you need to buy from us. That, that's a whole problem uh, for the company because that could be a, another way that you get a declaratory judgment. Let's think about some of the competitors' responses. I got a couple of those as well. What does a competitor do hearing that you're about to litigate or are litigating uh, one of your patents against a, customer, uh, against a competitor? Well, if there's a non-infringing competitor and they hear that you are going against one of the other competitors about your patent, that might wake that non-infringing competitor up to take a look at your patents and make sure they're not infringing. So that actually be good, good news. They may actually slowly tape away from some product because they think they're infringing. So that could improve resales. So that's good news. So having a patent infringement uh, litigation could actually help you with other competitors. But another competitor response from a non-infringing competitor could be that they start patenting more, that they try to get trading cards. Now you've started an arms race, which is the opposite of what you thought you'd be doing. So you see a competitor and another competitor wakes up and says, we're gonna start filing patents against you. So you can see that there's a lot going on here that your quote patent is being infringed. How about the market position? Got a couple of these ideas. If the market kind of understands that you in infringement, that could create bad press about you, that basically you're litigious in the market versus selling good products. I've mentioned this twice before about being a non-practicing entity, but it goes beyond that. Where all of a sudden you, you get sort of distant by customers and the market because you're quote litigating your patents. Another market position is that customers could actually start analyzing your patents, wondering if that they have to buy your products because of your patents. 
And if they start analyzing your patents as a buy decision to, for you selling products, now what's happened is you've added another level of complexity to selling. So infringement of a competitor and where they get to know it, the customers all of a sudden gets the customers to think that maybe they're going to be drawn into this. And so uh, through induced infringement. So all of a sudden it impacts the buy decisions. I said we talk a little bit about short-term and long-term effects, but here's one short-term effect for you. If you have the potential of having one of your patents being infringed, well, you think you could go to court. It provides a whole new way of thinking for the company, a way that you can start thinking about leveraging your business. And now, outside of the legal bills you'll get for all this, of course, you'll start to understand the different impacts to the business. And maybe some of the other IP you have could be thought to be more important because your patent was. There are long-term effects, and I've got a couple here. Uh, if you have a successful action in litigation where you do get to settle or get a check and it's your first time, well, all of a sudden you have a revenue source from your patents. You paid what, $30,000, $40,000 for the patent? Maybe you paid a couple, two or three million for the litigation and you won five or 10 million. You're bored, your CEO is gonna think you're a hero. You have a revenue source. It's like found money, isn't it? So that might actually start to get you to think more about IP and doing this again and again and again. I've seen this so many times. Um, if that happens, that's great. But will it happen again and again and again? Could, but you need some expert advice on how to have a continually strong portfolio. A second long-term effect is if it's a non-successful action uh, and you looked at the patents as though you it was found money and it wasn't, now you may go the opposite of this, which is totally incorrect, thinking the patents are terrible. I can meet a lot of CEOs that go through this process that then think the patents don't work. Why should I go through that process? Man, that's a class one error if I've ever seen one because the fact that they didn't win it could be all sorts of reasons. It could be one aspect of one claim that got the thing thrown out. It could be some prior art you didn't know of. There's all sorts of reasons. So if you had a non-successful action, Please don't get caught up in thinking the patents don't work. It's a, it's a false way of thinking. Let's go into the fourth topic. And this is a really important topic about controlling communications. And there's three directions here that we'll talk about. One is if you go towards infringement, what to do with the communication. If you go towards licensing, what to do with communications. And if there's no action at all, what you think about for communications. Let's talk about the infringement path. There's a, a two or three aspects here. One is, at the end of the day, as I mentioned, most documents can be subpoenaed. So watch closely what you write in emails. I'll tell you a case here for a second point of infringement in communications. True case, can't tell you the company. Very large company. Two companies were at battle. One company sued the other. The CEO happened to read the legal case, which is, you know, 25 to 50 pages. So the CEO can read it, really wants to understand it. Obviously, the lawyers understand it on both sides. So this CEO literally read the, this, uh, this uh, uh, litigation document sent to him. And on the margins, he uses Sharpie to put notes. And some of the notes, he goes, yeah, they're definitely right. We have been infringing your product for a number of years. It turned out that that was not an attorney-client privilege. And it turned out that was subpoenaed. The other side got it. And this large company not only lost litigation, but because the CEO knew about it. And the CEO knew he was willfully infringing. It was treble the damages. It was a huge bill to be paid for just some very small ignorance of not having the documents controlled by communication. So attorney-client privilege is absolutely important and people should know what that is and know 
that they need to be very careful about communications if a litigation is going. Particularly if you're the one <laughs> to sue someone, the first thing you should do is go through your company and make sure you have the communications controlled. And you'll get all sorts of advice here, but one of the things is no attorney is going to let anybody in this sort of litigation room other than key people. So be very uh, understanding that when there is going to be a litigation, there's going to be only a few people in the company that can even talk about it. And the walls come down. You won't get consultants in there. You won't get advisors in there. They'll just have you and the lawyers in a very small group. Another thing is we talked about declaratory judgment, and we certainly want you to avoid that. You don't want to lose venue and revert to counterclaims because you lost control on the front end because you somehow asserted that you would sue, and now you're in a DJ uh, and not asserting it. Another infringement path is one of the things that a lot of companies do is they stay in stealth mode for a long period of time to build their case up, studying the competitor, the products, doing everything they can. So if you think there's infringement, please control the group, make it as small as possible, control communications, and build a good case. I mentioned there's some other paths here, right? The licensing path. Well, it's sort of the same as litigation, but you don't come out trying to litigate. You try to somehow start talking about licensing because you don't want to pull your litigation card. This is a very clever thing to do, but it's also very subtle how you manage it. I hope we'll have a podcast out on this at some point. But what you need to do is get non-lawyers involved. You get your lawyers involved to know that there's infringement, but now get non-lawyers involved to somehow communicate with the potential infringer because the non-license, the non-legal folks won't know that the claims are being you know, infringed upon because that's legal advice. And maybe they can ensure very early on, they can start negotiation conversations. Maybe the other side will recognize that this, they could be sued, but they do a licensing deal so that they don't get sued. And these, not, these uh, non-legal folks that are experts will absolutely ensure if they're the right people, you don't get a DJ. Another licensing path that I talked about earlier is that maybe you do a licensing valuation to see the size of it. And if you could use an expert to do that, you know, if you think you're going to have a, a patent that is infringing and you learn that this could be $85 million in valuation, that's a very different thing than learning it could be $3 million. And believe me, it can be that wide range because the claims only account for an apportionment of some product and some market. So please, uh, valuation on the front end is very important. And I would think about that for the licensing path. I did mention there's a no action path. You have the patent, it's being infringed. You decide not to litigate. You decide not to license. Why? What would be a reason for that? Well, there are dozens of reasons for that. One is, Business is going okay. Why the heck would you want to upset your business with litigation, knowing all the things I just talked about? You may not think that your patents are strong enough. You might need to do things internally to fix your process to make your claims stronger or your case is better. You might find out that your patents are so easy to invent around that it's crazy to assert because they'll invent around it and they'll own the patents. So I have found that sort of post-mortem, if you don't take action and there's a clear infringement, it tells you a lot about your company. Maybe company doesn't have guts. Maybe it doesn't want to risk its treasury. There's a whole bunch of reasons. But being able to look in that mirror and see the reflection back and know, that'll tell you a lot about your IP program in the future. The other thing is that even if there's no infringement or possibility, if you learn nothing that there's no infringement, this postmortem is a very good thing to do. Just pretend that there's infringement and ask yourself the question, what would you do? And a lot of companies would, would be surprised at the answer to that. Well, coming up, you'll see the range of actions that can vary from no action to putting a patent litigation on roller skates 
and even trying to invalidate your own patent on the potentially infringed patents. So there's so much to talk about in the next section. You're listening to Invent Anything with John Cronin. Be sure to visit us at inventanything.net. There's information, articles, and more. And you can leave your thoughts and comments there as well. That's inventanything.net. And now back to John and this episode. So topic number five, various responses and approaches you can take for potentially infringed patents. So one path you can take to very that you can take in your business and looking at the competitive space in the market and the technology domain is exactly that, is to look at the competitive space. Look at your business, look at the market, look at the technology domain you're in and start asking questions because you're about to embark on a potentially big business change maybe for you, which is to litigate your patents. There is the infringement approach. It's expensive, it's disruptive. The patents could be invalidated. It could backfire you in the market. It could yield significant money in return. It could enhance your product position in the market. So this is large positives and large negatives. There's also uh, another infringement approach here that could be inexpensive. And in one sense, you kind of win and it could be a whole new revenue source for you. There's no side, no downside to doing an understanding of how much you would win uh, before the infringement. But once again, one thing you'd want to do is use non-legal experts to help drive that decision because it will improve the sophistication you'll have. And maybe before you decide to litigate, you want to file some new filings, get some continuations, making your case stronger. And sometimes it's best to see that result before you take any action. One thing we did talk about is that you could use a no action approach and you could basically use valuation for improving your claims against the product. What we found is a lot of companies, when they look at a potential infringement and they look at their claims, it's just not good enough. And so sometimes patent counsel and you can work together to improve the go around of your claim. Another thing we talked about here is that um, this no action approach for improving your claims can also be great for strategy. The question is why were your claims not good enough to begin with? I mean, let's face it, when you get a patent and you work with your patent attorneys, you get the claims and you're not quite sure what it all means in the future. So you're not focused on that. But maybe what you could do is actually look at your patent and application and the claims and ask yourself the question, are my claims written for infringement? A lot of times they're not. One thing you could do is take a partner action approach. Uh, and what that means is that you find a partner because maybe you don't have the funds. Maybe you lack the funds for litigation or you fear retaliation. So maybe what you do is look at to find some strategic partners. If you've got a very strong case for infringement and you have some patents, who knows? Maybe take on an equity position of a strategic partner who would want you to litigate, which would help them for some reason. So finding strategic partners that might get involved. I've seen deals where one large company won't sue another large company, but then a third large company comes in and partners with the company and that partnership together drives litigation of the other company uh, because it's good for the, the partners to see another company fall in the market. One of the things that's very clear and it happens quite a bit is you can improve your patent position long before you decide to litigate. There are things called continuations in parts. You can enhance the claims and change them. You can change the direction of your claim directly towards the infringer. You might invent around your patents and get the inventor rounds uh, obtained as patents as well. You could do a free to operate uh, understanding of, of the competitor to see if their patents read on your products. I mean, why not do that, right? If you're gonna sue someone, make sure they can't counter sue you. I mentioned this kind of unique idea of 
uh, putting litigation on roller skates. What does that actually mean? It means that you might not be able to want to take the risk or afford to do patent litigation. <clears throat> so you find a litigation partner. You find someone that's going to help you. You try to take your patents and sell it to a larger company for upside and let them carry the water for infringement. There are so many strategies here that we could do a podcast just in this one element. So if you don't have enough money for patent litigation, but you see a lot of money in it, maybe there's a way to put roller skates on the deal. Another thing is you have to realize that when you have a patent and you think it's infringing, that there's a time period by which you should infringe, you should litigate or not. have to cut this out. Yep. Don't worry. I'll take this out. One of the things you might want to do is to make sure that you understand the latches issue. And you want to understand this because long-term this could affect you. So you know that your patents are infringing now and you have an opinion from a lawyer. When do you actually infringe? Well, it's not really right for you to wait one, two, three, four, five years and decide that now the market's big enough that you'll infringe because there's a latches problem. Meaning that if you do have a time period by which you could sue, but you don't, that's gonna be accounted against you in any um, litigation. And at some point, if you wait too long, you go beyond that threshold. I think that's six years. So knowing when to pull that trigger is very important. So getting an opinion uh, that's actually written down is essential for determining this latch time. So avoid getting into a latch issue. And last one is, you know, if you have a potential infringement, you can leverage this a lot of different ways. I've seen it leveraged to get a loan in asset-based lending where the, where the person who loans you the money knows that the patents would turn to them and they could use it for litigation. It could be used by you when you're trying to look for investment where the investor sees this potential. Sometimes people just invest for the litigation. Sometimes it's high net worth people willing to come into your company if it's small and invest to see the patent litigation through. So having a patent that's infringing for big money, please don't think because you don't have the money that you can't proceed because you can always find someone willing to take that bet. On the other hand, if you're a large company, you understand the ins and outs of litigation. And so taking that bet's kind of different, right? It, it, you, can, you can have the treasury to do it. You don't need to look for that investment. No matter what, if you're a large company with a large treasury, there's still an investment of time and disruption and all that. Let's go to topic number six. In topic number six, we want to talk about other points of interest that may arise that might surprise you. One of the issues is that if you have a patent that then is deemed to be infringed by someone else, it turns out that now you've got wisdom. You filed these patents five years ago. Now they're being infringed. You're smart, right? You have the wisdom to file those patents. And that's really good because having a patent that's infringed gives you a lot of optionality. A lot of things you can do in your business now that you couldn't do. Another thing is if a patent appears to be infringed, it may also cover your product, right? Your patent covers your product. Your patent covers somebody else's product that's infringing. That adds a lot of power to your product for sales. You might be able to raise prices and have Sorry, higher margins. could you say that again? My apologies. I couldn't hear. Thank you, Siri. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll take it out. Don't worry. Put them in a box there. So if your patent appears to be infringed and your patent actually covers your product, your patent covers their product and your product. So that's actually pretty good news, right? Because it means 
that you have the ability now that has a product that's protected by patents in the market and competitive products shouldn't be offered. So you should be able to do things like raise, raise prices and get higher margins. Another thing is that you could do is to sort of evaluate the reason you got the patent. Become aware of this reason as a new part of you going forward. You decide to get the patent and now it's infringed. Why did you decide to get the patent? Did you do it to bulk up your portfolio? Did you do it because you thought you'd get licensing? Did you actually do it because you thought that competitors would actually go in this direction and that would be a landmine? So I would reverse analyze why you got the patent knowing that it's infringed and hopefully there's an alignment right between a patent that's infringed and the reason you decide to get the patent. One of the things which is kind of crazy is this thing called the inter parte review. Any kind of defendant that goes through patent litigation tries to take a patent and invalidate it. This started uh, a number of years back in the American Event Act, I think in 2013, that a re-review of patents could be done and it could be invalidated without going to court. If that happens, they're invalidated and they're invalidated by the patent office because they found new prior art, et cetera, then it's gonna, you wouldn't be able to assert it if it's invalidated by the patent office. Well, if you're gonna, if you're gonna go through the cost of uh, litigation, one of the things you might wanna do is to try to invalidate your own patent through uh, means that we could talk about probably in another podcast. But if you couldn't evaluate, evaluate your own patents, that means it's actually stronger. So that's something you might consider. Another thing is when you go through this process of litigation, you're actually gonna learn a lot about your infringer. So this could be great information to feed forward into your business and IP strategy. And it might be critical to understanding where you wanna leverage your business more. So if you find a patent that's being infringed by a competitor, you're gonna study that competitor. You're gonna learn a lot about their products. You're gonna learn about the CEO. You're gonna learn about their treasury. You're going to learn about as many things as you can, and that will inform your business strategy. Uh, and you may find that the competitor is a lot bigger than you thought, or the competitor is a lot smaller than you thought, which could change the whole deal what happens in the market. So sometimes patent infringement is a great uh, reason for understanding the analysis of the market. One of the things for sure is you find out what your patent is worth, and this information can definitely help in your future patent strategy. If you find out your patent is very valuable, then that might have you think that maybe more patents could be generated that could be very valuable in your market. On the other hand, if it's very invaluable because of some reason of limitation of claims or small market, you may decide not to keep filing patents in that particular market. One issue, which I've been part of a number of, a number of cases like this over the last 20, 25 years, is you may actually find that the patent has more value than your company. This has happened to me a number of times. I had a, start, I had a, a small public company where there was very small money in it, 10 to 12 million. They asked me to analyze their part patents and I came back and said, these patents could be worth several billion dollars in your market. Well, the investors thought that was a very interesting insight. They decided to invest and the company raised an awful lot of money and they actually won over a billion dollars in litigation, bigger than the company could develop in products. So keep in mind that when you look at your IP, your IP could actually be such that your IP leads your business, it becomes your business not just the products. One thing to note is if you were surprised by the infringement, that you had a patent that was infringed by someone else, that tells you something. To me, it tells me you don't have a patent strategy or an IP strategy. I, I know that's pretty hard on you, but look, if you just find out that one of your patents is being infringed, you should have built that into your whole strategy to create patents that could be infringed. You should have alerts and systems that are telling you constantly to just learn about this and it's kind of like, oh my goodness, we've got a patent that's being infringed, this is great. Now that means you don't have a good IP strategy. <coughs> it's getting dry in here. 
Give me a minute. And go. If the infringer was found in the in a new product release, that that all of a sudden you found it was infringement because they just announced a product. That's unique because you have a great opportunity when it's just released because they don't have that much invested in it, right? They have enough to make the product go, but they might have that investment in marketing and years of profit that'll fight back. It's a great time to sort of jump on it because if you found it's a new product release and they're infringing, then many times doing licensing is much easier. Lastly, there are other forms of IP that may also become important to you once you see the value of your IP in a litigation. <coughs> I'm sorry, Mark, I'm coughing all of a sudden. No problem. Um... I'll do this and then I think it'll be. I guess as I talk, my throat gets dry. Yeah, it happens to everybody. Okay. Uh, so you're going to go to do number, start with yeah. number 10? Yeah, and I'm done. All right. And I'll wrap up. And anytime. Wait, well, hold on, John. I just want yep. Yeah, I'm still yep. recording. Okay. If you have uh, a patent that infringes and becomes very valuable to you, one thing that I've found that happens a lot to CEOs and boards is it puts a microscope on other forms of IP. Maybe, who knows, maybe your trade names, your copyrights, your NDAs, your, your trade secrets, everything becomes more important. You never recognize the value that you have in intellectual property until all of a sudden you have a patent, that, you know, infringement that could be worth a lot of money. It tells you that intellectual property works, right? And we also told you the opposite, that if it didn't work, it doesn't mean that intellectual property doesn't work. Bottom line is intellectual property works, uh, but you have to make it work for you. So let's wrap up. In the first topic, we found common ways to find out about evidence of use and to find out that you're being infringed. We discussed the many ways that that happened, some evidence of use studies, maybe a website, maybe there was some clever tracking techniques you had, there maybe the customer surprises you with an alert, maybe some patent broker calls you up. So there's many ways to learn uh, that you have infringement happening to you. But once you do that, we talked about topic number two, doing a patent valuation and risk assessment. What you really try to do here is to take a look at potential infringes. You try to look at damages assessment, licensing assessments, what's the risk? We talked about this whole idea and this takeaway of, you know, should you bring other expertise in, consultants to help the board? We also talked about in, in this uh, topic about the incredible disruption that patent litigation can be. In topic number three, we talked about size in the problem. How big is this? And what is going on with the infringer's response, the employer response, competitor response, the innovation in the market, the short-term and long-term effects. Key to this is you're in a unique market with unique competitors, and it could surprise you what the responses are. Who knows, we want to make sure that no matter what you do, you watch what happens with your employees and also with your customers, you don't want them to get angry. So this is definitely a place to focus on, which moves us right away to topic number four, controlling communication. One thing you certainly want to do is to control communication to the point that it gets locked down, whether it's the infringement path, the licensing path or no path, you want to make sure that what you do is not to have information that gets subpoenaed. So you get under attorney-client privilege. We talked about also in the licensing path that is far risky and less cost, but it's also a direction that needs some expertise and finesse, usually not legal 
uh, expertise is needed here, uh, more business licensing negotiation. But we did talk also in com controlling communication that no action was done. And But all of a sudden, from a communication standpoint, you're going to ask yourself, well, why didn't I take action? Remember, we talked about looking in the mirror doing that post-mortem. Is the company just not have a good enough treasury or they just don't have enough expertise? How can you improve your IP strategy going forward? We talked about topic number five of the various responses you can get on these potentially infringed patents. We discussed the various paths, the competitor space, the market, the technology, et cetera. We talked about inventing around your patents, doing continuations, making your claims even stronger. We talked about putting litigation on roller skates, finding partners and things like that. And finally, we talked about the latches issue to make sure that if you know you're infringing, or if you know that you have patents that are infringing, that you understand the time bars you're at. Maybe suing right away because as an early competitor, just released the product is one thing, but waiting years for the market to develop is probably not good, particularly if all this is documented that you are waiting years, there's a latch issue of which you can literally go, go backwards to get uh, re revenues on a win of litigation. And finally, there's a time limit to that. And other points of interest, as we closed up on topic number six, we discussed other key points. Sort of the optionality you can get here by knowing there's potential infringers. You actually get to see the value of your own patents at work and giving yourself that whole idea that maybe you can generate enormous revenues from this. You might even decide to IPR yourself into parte review to try to validate your own patent. And you can do that subtly in, in ways that could help you. You can also sort of tighten up, uh, take a look at your other IP processes, your NDAs, your trade secrets, your contracts, all these agreements. They could start to actually look to be more important to you than you were before knowing you had a patent that could bring you in a lot of money. Well, look, there's a lot of topics we covered here and a lot more we could. But if you like what you see, please subscribe to us. Come join us in our Anything blog, Invent Anything blog and take a listen to some of our inventors at work. It's John Cronin, Invent Anything.